Hello and welcome to the Weather of the Mind podcast. I'm your host, Doug Chris. Good day to you. So I'm recording this on April 15th into our fourth week of lockdown here in New York. Lockdown's not the right word. Shelter in place. Shelter in place. I've been not locked down. I've been going for walks or bike rides every day, which have helped keep me sane. But right now, I sit at my desk besides a mason jar full of green tea and an old coffee cup that held some black tea beside my window where I watch this maple tree blossom leaf out not blossom but leaf out monitoring the progress we saw the first bits of green appear on this maple tree about four days ago and now you have most of the leaf buds are showing little dots of green at the end of the branches with maybe a quarter, like a size of a quarter, a little, little broccoli heads, these leaf buds. So it's pretty exciting watching that tree leaf out because my room and my porch faces this tree. So half the year when the leaves are down, I feel quite exposed to the street and the neighborhood a bit, but then these leaves come out and it's just this wall of a tree outside of my room and porch and uh, it's, I love it. It's wonderful. It's a great companion. And so watching it come from being in its winter sleep through spring into its summer form, its spring form and then its summer form is really it's one of those simple pleasures. Simple pleasures. <laughs> Isn't it all about simple pleasures these days? Simple pleasures. I got some good simple pleasures going on. I look around my room. I have my snack corner with walnuts and chocolate chips and coconut flakes and honey. I see my watercolors out with some some paintings I've done this week in my in my quiet quiet evenings. Above my desk I have these sheets of blank paper. Well, they were blank. And now I have my fourth one. I put a new one up for every 10 days of this of this Corona times. So I'm up to day 32 and on the wall there on a piece of paper, I, I mark the days, a slash by slash by slash, cross in the fifth day and so on and so forth. And up there, I just write a few notes. I, I write my emotional uh, numbers for the day and I'll make a note of if I, you know, what I ate and if what movies I watched or what I did with my time, what I studied or what I read. Just a few, a few words, little notes to kind of mark the time. There's something therapeutic about marking the time, marking the time. In the kitchen, I got a, I got a whole slew of Moroccan lentils in the slow cooker. Lentils are exceptional, and you really can't go wrong especially in a slow cooker, but even on the stovetop. Onion, garlic, a few spices, and if you could finish it off with a little bit of citrus, mm, a little bit of lemon really pulls the lentils together and making a side of short grain brown rice. I make a batch of those lentils and I have three or four really warm, comforting meals, especially with a little bit of toast, a little bit of fresh cheese on top, a little Parmigiano. 
on the windowsill. I have a few jade cuttings that were a gift from my mom. And I have these now uh, in soil. Well, on the top of the soil, just a little soil drizzled on top, waiting for those new jade plants to take root. So certainly engaged in plants through cooking, engaged in plants on my windowsill, engaged with the tree out the window, observing the birds coming back with the blossoms. Because as the trees blossom, as life comes back, there's more food for the birds. The birds, many birds who are non-year-round residents come with the spring and come with that food supply. I picture them almost, you know, following spring up the coast and arriving in New York now. So it's fun to hear fresh voices in the neighborhood from the birds. And I, I, I'm pretty sure there's a bird nest forming very close to my window under the overhang of the building. So much, so much excitement of new life, new life in spring. Even if our lives are in an odd place, I've been taking my walks out to the woods as much as possible. Where I live, I can be in the, in the woods in 20 minutes. A 20 minute walk, that is. So it takes 20 minutes to get there. I've often gone for two or three hour hikes in the past, in the past week, a few of those, and really kind of getting lost in the woods. And that has been rejuvenating. So I've been doing everything right. I said that my five foundations were certainly nature, which I've, I think I've really engaged in. Certainly music, and, and music has been the other big one for me. Uh, and I'm going to play uh, some samples for you of the music right now. Let's start with a little very appropriate Bob Marley song, which has been... Reggae has been a very pleasant companion. Reggae is very calm and calming. It's slow. It helps you slow down. And I think that's been, it's been helpful. It's been helpful to try to slow down during this period. When I've tried to speed up, realize when I've had coffee, it seems like I haven't had as, as, as balanced emotionally days. So keep an eye on that. Uh, keep an eye on your stimulants these days as we try to keep calm. This is Bob Marley and the Whalers, 1978. You're running and you're running and you're running away. 
You running and you running and you running away. You running and you running, but you can't run away from yourself. Can't run away from yourself. Oh man. Oh, it has been a good, good musical time. Musical time, musical engagement. And also busting out the watercolors, sketching, just having quiet time. And one thing that's kept me some company during those quiet times has been these operas I've been listening to. I watch some of them, but oftentimes I listen to part of them, put them on for a half an hour to an hour. If I get roped in, I keep listening. Maybe I'll watch the first half hour of these Met Opera streams. But opera is also wonderful just to listen to. So I'll often put the opera on, begin to sketch and begin to paint. And that has been a new, a new ritual that I've been playing around with. I'm excited to share a sample from Mozart's 1790 opera, Così van Tutte. And this is a really exceptional opera with wonderful duets and quartets and quintets. Without further ado... Permettete che sia posto quel baul in quella stanza. Ehi che peggio, un uomo nascosto, un notaio, qui che fa? So I want to talk about my emotional health as a case study because I'm I'm going to publish my case study at least the first version of it in a few months because I've been charting my emotions for four years. Every evening, five-minute ritual, although I think about it during the day and sometimes I'll take notes during the day, but at the minimum, an evening ritual where I reflect on the day and, and try to try to code the morning, the afternoon, the evening, the three parts of my day by, by using a number and, and leaving a little bit of notes. So one thing that that happened to me as I look at these, now I've been 32 days of sheltering in place. And what's interesting to me, and one of the best things I've learned from charting my numbers, is that our perception of the past and what actually happened is often very different. So if I look at my four weeks, I basically, and I'm looking at the sheets on the wall right now, basically the first week, the first three or four days, I was kind of shocked. But then I sort of balanced out and embraced it and did pretty well for a week, almost two weeks. So two and a half weeks in and into about three weeks, I was, I was saying, you know, I'm doing pretty good here. But around, nah, it's almost two weeks now. No, I would say the last two weeks have basically been a down period, especially the last week, the last week and a half, have been one of like a pretty hard week, meaning the kind of week that's like one of your toughest two or three during the year. 
And that's what's an interesting thing of keeping numbers. They're representative, but you can then look at weeks and see, wow, this really was a week where I was at negative 50 for the week. What does that mean? Basically, my range, so I have 21 data points for the week. My range has ended up being, I've had weeks as high as plus 80 and weeks as low as negative 80, which is basically averaging a plus 4 or a minus 4. I don't want to get into too much of that right now. We'll save that for another day. But what's interesting is thinking, like I'm doing everything right. I'm sleeping enough. I'm eating really healthy, really nourishing foods. But I'm eating alone all the time. Um, I'm engaging music. I'm engaging nature. I'm exercising. I'm doing my push-ups. I'm staying hydrated. But they're still showing some down cycles, some tough, some tough weeks. So we'll see what happens in the week to come, the next week or two, and see. How, usually, if I have a down week like that, I sort of end up bouncing back. Uh, so, and I'm feeling um, feeling pretty good today. So I think I'm on an upswing. But it'll be interesting to see because what this will reveal to us. I mean, we're kind of doing this mass study of social isolation. It, it will might help us understand how much face to face camaraderie has a different if it has a different value to us than talking on the phone or changing stuff on the internet or even skyping because i'm someone who does not have a lot of online camaraderie i've just just started doing the instagram for the podcast but i'm not a social media person my camaraderie of spirit happens when i'm as a, working as a bartender when i'm working as a teacher when I'm working, managing a cafe, these social spaces, which have been a part of my life for 20 or 30 hours a week, now are gone. So that's a very, very, that's a huge thing. And that should, you know, one would expect it to affect you on an emotional level. So it's not surprising to see a down week. I think we should expect that. But I think the key is to still rely and trust in our foundations. But I do once again encourage you to chart your emotions so that you have a record so you can really see, holy smokes, I've been really down for two weeks now. Because that could be, that's something that needs to be addressed and we have to think of ways to address that. The point of the numbers is, is it, they provide a different lens in which to see ourselves. Because we might not perceive the last two weeks as being pretty challenging if we're having a pretty positive day today. So our current emotional state biases our understanding of our personal past. So the idea is to, by keeping an archive, allows us just a different lens to see ourselves. Self-study. It is a great time for self-study. April is the cruelest month. We've heard this before. We're at the middle of April right now. T.S. Eliot, The Wasteland, famous poem. Famous poet, famous poem, The Wasteland. 1922. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Ah, let's run that back one more time. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Mm. I think I think he's right. And if you even look at the data, you could find studies by the CDC, 
There is a peak of suicides in April. And why is this? And there is a, a lower end of suicides in the middle of winter. I think it's about stability and instability and expectations and frustrations. In winter, in a way, it's a very stable time of the year. You know generally what the weather is going to be like for the next few weeks. You know what life is going to feel like. And you that allows us some security and some trust in what to expect. April, however, is it's crazy. And I mean, obviously, April, we're talking a lot uh, parts of the country or parts of the world. This would be a little bit different in different parts of the world. But for a lot of for a lot of Europe and the United States and Asia, a lot of Northern Hemisphere, April is the month that goes back and forth. Two days ago, it was 65 and there was thunder rumbling and it was the trees were starting to bloom. And today it's 35 and breezy. It feels like a winter day. So we've had spring days and winter days in this week. To me, the way it feels, it's almost sometimes when I've had a lover who was kind of hot and then cold, hot and cold. And that frustration, that anxiety-inducing, anxiety-inducing. When we think about anxiety, we should think about the word, what's your guess? One word that relates to anxiety the most, control. Control. We have very little control. One thing we have little control over is the future. And the future, look at the example. In the winter, the future was relatively predictable and it, it, it tends to calm us. But now the future, we don't know which way it's going. I mean, we do if we step back and have the long view. But if we don't step back and have the long view, we don't know if tomorrow is going to be spring or winter. If our lover is going to love us or be absent. This tumultuous time of the year weighs on us. So again, the foundations, the rituals are as important as ever. In the quiet of this time, as Bob Marley says, you're running, you're running, you're running away, but you can't run away from yourself. In this semi-isolation, it's a good opportunity to learn, to learn about ourselves because there's less variables. So if I take coffee some days and don't take coffee other days, there's a better chance of me observing some pattern when my life is relatively static, is relatively the same. So it's a great time for some self-study. And one thing that's fascinating for me to always reflect on and never seem close to forming any conclusion is the relationship between cognition and emotions. Cognition and emotions. Cognition, by definition, is the mental action or process of acquiring knowledge and understanding through thought. Knowledge and understanding through thought. Cognition. Emotions, by definition, a natural instinctive state of mind deriving from one's circumstances, mood, or relationship with others. And here's a further definition of emotions instinctive or intuitive feeling as distinguished from reasoning or knowledge. So that really hits the nail on the head. We're talking about two major forces that affect our emotions and our minds every single day. Our cognitive thinking and our emotions. So the difference between 
humans and our closest rel animal relatives would be they would have very minimal cognition. They would be able to acquire some knowledge and learn some things. But compared to the human's ability of cognition, we are overly cognitive beasts. However, we are still beasts on some level. And that emotion, that instinct, our deep drives that move us, our strong emotions are very much a part of us. So we have these two layers of the human. Now, what you think, so we have this complex thinking world and this complex emotional world. But what's interesting is one has some impact on the other and vice versa. And for each person, it might be somewhat different which one speaks stronger or which one influences the other. So think of your mental state, your words, what you're telling yourself, the narrative, the story, the story of lockdown, the story of your life. These are all cognitive structures. These are stories. These are little worlds of thinking that we build. And then we have our emotions, what we feel from our, our instincts, from our hunger, to our sexual desires, to our thirst, to our tiredness, to our basic human needs. Part of that is our emotions. So one direction is you go from cognition, what we think and what we say, our storylines, and then that in turn affects our emotions. Think about, I have one friend who's not following the news at all. And I don't necessarily advise this path, but it's an interesting case study because all the cognitive, all the thoughts that pertain, that are being fed to her via the news, she's just cutting that off and allowing space for other thoughts or other feelings. Perhaps she realized that those those cognitive, those thoughts, those narratives were making her extremely anxious, were affecting her emotions, so she cut them off. On the other hand, we think we have these thoughts and they're just these rational thoughts, but aren't they themselves influenced by our emotions? So you have this circle where the emotions affect the cognitive and the cognitive affect the emotions. So if we were really trying to have a good emotional health strategy, we'd try to be proactive in both ways. And that's what I hopefully feel like I've been espousing on this podcast. On the cognitive sense, you have to be very mindful of what you tell yourself and the stories that we tell ourselves about our lives. We have to frame things in a way that they're manageable. If you frame, frame things and write the story of our lives in ways that are overwhelming, we're going to get overwhelmed. It's going to serve us no good. So we have to take a perspective in which life is manageable. So think about cognition and emotions, the relationship between our thoughts and our feelings. Try to see the cycle and see what is feeding what. But sometimes how our emotions are feeding our cognition. This is one thing I get from doing the emotional numbers. If I see that I'm in a negative four or negative five, which is a pretty strong emotions in a negative sense, pretty strong anxious or depressive feelings. I will be aware of my cognition. I'll be I'll know that my emotions are biasing my thoughts and my perceptions. It feels good to hang out with you. It feels really good to share some music. Again, if you're feeling anxious or depressed, if your emotional state is strong, it will blur 
it will affect your cognitive thinking. It has for me, my thoughts and my focus have been less clear in the last week and a half because of this. So we have to be patient and we have to understand that we're going through some challenges right now. Thoughts and prayers, keep positive, much love. Talk to you soon. Be well. Stay hydrated. Bye-bye. Thank you.